Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa. With over 50 years of sports betting experience, Fred is known in the UK for three things. Customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is it. We're finally here. Episode numero uno, number one, the inception episode of Puck and Roll. I am your host, Patrick Lorty. I am so excited to be here with my distinguished panel of guests. We got Sam Mendelson with us. We got Elias Laradi, our absolutely incredible insider. We have Joshua Rosa. Maria Buabdo is joining us on research. Scott Cowan, Sebastian High. You're going to see people, these guys are absolutely incredible, and we are not going to dilly-dally really long because we've got so much to talk about. Montreal Canadiens news, Laval Rocket, even some 12 Lions news, or Lyon, call it whatever you, want, what you would like. I'm actually going to throw the ball directly to Sam, who is going to give his uh, first uh, opinions on what happened in free agency. Sam, what do you got for us, buddy? Well, first and foremost, Patrick, thanks for setting this all up. This is uh, quite exciting. Uh, numero un, you know, let's stick with the whole French concept. Numero un, let's do this. This is, a, this is a Habs team, guys, that brought in some French players. They got a little scrutiny last year when Dano was out and Drouin was out. Someone who was born in Toronto. I looked at it as, you know, I don't believe that the Habs need a French speaking head coach but we know that's not the we know that that's never going to happen that they never don't have happen. someone who speaks french behind the bench um but in you know on the lineup you know they addressed something that i guess the fans wanted i mean they gave us a stanley cup run uh but they addressed it first and foremost there was speculation that david savard was going to be linked to the halves and with all the news i mean let, let's let's dive down uh let's peel back the onion a little bit they go to the stanley cup an amazing run they lose in five to ten of a heartbreaking we're watching Shea Weber you know being surrounded by his teammates and then a week later we finding out Shea Weber may never play again so not only is that just a huge blow to Shea Weber but it's also a huge blow to the Montreal Canadiens organization so how are they going to address that hole that Shea Weber you know not just as a captain but as a leader on defense a leader in the locker room and they go with a guy who's not just from Quebec as we're sticking with the whole French concept but a guy who just beat Montreal in the Stanley Cup and David Savard. And, you know, I really like the term. I really like the contract. And I think, you know, we can all agree on, and everyone's going to have their own opinions on this, but I think we all can agree that there were some guys out there defense-wise that got paid way more than everyone anticipated them getting. Absolutely. So I think, you know, when you look at David Savard and, and what he's going to fill, yeah, it's a huge loss by Shea Weber. Is he going to fill his shoes? Probably not, but it was a good, adequate move by Mark Bergevin, who was obviously under a lot of scrutiny, and we'll probably get to that later at the draft with his first-round pick. Uh, but I really thought David Savard was a solid pickup. It addressed that French, you know, another French player on the team. You go right from David Savard into Cedric Paquette, and I think Cedric Paquette, you could call him a poor man's Philip Deneau, and I think that's a perfect blanket statement for him. He's not as expensive. Clearly, we saw Deneau signing that massive deal to go to the Kings, but he's a guy who's going to come in. I saw, you know, he was being interviewed today. He said he'd run through a wall. This is the team he grew up loving. This is a guy who played with Tampa Bay when they first won the Stanley Cup two years ago. So another guy that Bergevin, for another year, brings in a couple Stanley Cup winners and Savard in Paquette. They're really good locker room guys really good depth guys but i think the the signing that i really was taken aback maybe the contract was a little too much but i love what the addition of mike hoffman is going to do for the montreal canadians i think everyone on this panel and this in this call and this podcast would agree with me 
The Habs really haven't had a power play since the days of Mark Streit and Sheldon Sure. And if I'm outdating myself, it's because maybe I'm a little bit older than a few of the guys in this room. But this was a power play that back in the day was number one for at least three, four years. Andre Markov. That puck moving defenseman, and yes, yeah, Sheldon Sheldon's story scored something like 20, 25 goals one year. Just yeah, it, it was three quarters of a world really a record, I think, at the yeah. time, Patrick. Um, and, and most of them came on the PP, and and that PP's dipped even with the likes of Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie. You know, they add Dennis Weidman, who you know had that unfortunate Uber video come out about him uh, and his teammates, but he was a guy who kind of you know took the heat for that. Goes to the KHL and has about 15 to 16 power play points and, and is the top point producer in the KHL. So another smart, savvy move by Bergerman. But I really like Mike Hoffman. Yes, his defense d- deficiency, sorry, on five-on-five five is, you know, sometimes a little too much for teams. But this is a guy who, like Cole Caulfield, everywhere he's stepped in, he scored goals. And the Montreal Canadiens with Caulfield and Hoffman, two guys who love to shoot from everywhere. And you get playmakers like Suzuki and you got Kotkaniemi and you're going to have other guys that step up as well. I think this is a team that is realizing, hey, you know, we came this short from winning a Stanley Cup. And what do we need to add? A little bit more grit on defense. They do that with the six foot two David Savard. They need a guy that's going to play that Philip Deneau role. There's Cedric Paquette as your fourth line center. You need a guy who's going to score on the power play. And Mike Hoffman has always done that, whether it was in Ottawa, St. Louis, or Florida. This is a guy in Mike Hoffman who a lot of people thought 4.3 might have been a bit of an, an overpay for a guy who maybe there wasn't a lot of suitors out there. For me, I think this is a guy that fits in really well with the Habs. You know, the real question, and this is, you know, I guess opening up to everyone, is does that move of Hoffman really affect Jonathan Drouin? Do you move Drouin to center? You know, that's going to be something that time will tell. But I really think that the moves that Bergevin made, he didn't overpay in what was the biggest free agency first day in NHL history. I believe it was like 103 signings. What was the official count after day one? Over so, $700 million spent on uh, contracts. Thanks, Scott. I mean, I was waiting for Maria to chime in with the research there, but I, I love <laughs> that you do that off the cuff. And I think that Bergevin knew he had some money to play with, and I thought he used it wisely. So let me let me throw the ball directly to Elias. And let, how about we stick with uh, Mike Hoffman, guys? I don't know about you. Obviously, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, his character, you know, the fact that, yes, he does definitely does have some back-checking deficiencies. Uh, this is not a guy who likes to play defense. This is your classic cherry picker who is going to stay on, on the upper blue line and he's just going to wait for the pass and he's going to gun for it. What do you think about the addition of Mike Hoffman? I mean, is this is he just Thomas Tatar 2.0 at this, at this point? Or do you actually think he's actually going to be a welcome addition to this new-looking Canadian squad? Well, if you're actually comparing him to Thomas Tatar, I think maybe t- Thomas Tatar was a bit better defensively, but, um, you know, it's not the first time that the Habs have gone after Hoffman. I remember uh, last year they tried to go after him before he signed that one-year $8 million deal, $8 million deal with St. Louis. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, Montreal did this just to get goals. If you want someone to score goals, Mike Hoffman, you know, he's a 20-25 goal scorer every year average. Honestly, you know, I think it's a good move. It'll, it'll back up, you know, in case they do, they do end up losing to Tar, which they will probably lose him. It's it's an interesting move, and uh, actually he did a, a media availability today, and he said that, oh, you know, I really want to make sure that I come to Canada. You know, I want to play in Canada. I want to play in Montreal. It's a great team. They have a great group, group of guys. Like, I'm really looking forward. And again, the contract, I was really surprised, like, how well it was. You know, the, the term, the money, it wasn't like an overpayment. So that that that's my personal take on it. Yes, there were uh, other options, uh, but there's nothing like playing hockey in Canada. Uh, let alone Montreal, um, being a you know original six team and the the fans and, and atmosphere and city, it just has everything that you want as a hockey player to to go to a city like that. So um, you know, I'm really looking forward to to the opportunity of playing playing the Bell Center in front of in front of all the fans, um, and then obviously the the hockey part of it is I think they got a a great hockey team. Uh, you know, some great young talent that's coming up and I think they're going to be good for, for a long time. So it was a pretty easy decision for me. The thing is though, like everyone says that everyone comes in and is like, I am so happy to be here, da, 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 you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, like the signature, I mean, 
when David Savar gave his uh, his interview, uh, he legit looked like someone who was just thrilled to be here. Like, he, then this is a guy, you know, who is like, okay, listen, like, I bleed red, white, and blue. And I took uh, a lesser contract for that matter, because I don't know about you, because I, I thought Savar was going to go for over $4 million a year. Turns out he's making Joel Edmondson and Ben Sherratt money, which is actually very complimentary to uh, his style of play, because that's the kind of guy we're going to expect on the right side. Scott, the big question now is... I mean, I like David Savard. He's a big dude. He's going to hit like crazy. And, like, you know, that's all we're going to have, like, some really, really big guys on the blue line. But, I mean, to replace Shea Weber, that's what everyone's going to be asking. Is he there to replace Weber? Or is there, is there, are we missing something from the bigger picture here? I think a really important thing to mention about that whole thing with Weber is that Weber was definitely the face of the Canadian blue line in a lot of ways. And a lot of people saw him as like the main leader on their blue line. And I think with this addition of Savard, they're definitely pushing for more of a cohesiveness and kind of, there's no real guy that stands out, but everyone kind of plays together and plays this really soft game. And a good thing to mention with David Savard is that he's been playing in a culture in Columbus that has been constantly shifting ever since he got there. He got there in 2010. He put up some decent numbers in the QMJ show with the Moncton Wildcats. And then he played with John Tortorella. He played with Scott Arniel when he was head coach he's bounced around with a bunch of different players he was there when Vlakov Prospel was their leading scorer and he was there when Artemi Panan was their leading scorer he's played all over the place in that culture and I feel like he's a player who's kind of used to changing strategies and changing things like that but he just plays his game and he plays the same game and he brings the same things every single night and it doesn't really matter how things change around him because his game will just stay the same regardless so I actually think that he's a perfect fit into Montreal's system and especially with a guy like Chris Weidman or Dennis, as Sam had mentioned, but that's just a quick typo. Uh, I think there's a really important point to make. <laughs> I think there's a really Throw important point bus. to make. <laughs> I think there's a really important point to make about just the Habs offsetting those players really well and having a guy like Wide Moves, more of a puck mover, offsetting of a big, hard hitting, strong guy like Svard. Sebastian, what's your take on the whole uh, free agency frenzy? Because I know you all—you definitely have a lot to say. And I, 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 knowing you, I know you've been dying to just jump on this and uh, and uh, give us your opinion go ahead buddy yeah um like i i i really like the savard signing because we all knew he was going to sign for like the what three four days before it was made official and after like cody cc signed for like what 3.4 million for for four seasons i was like i was like please be under five million because like bergeray had the money to spend so i was uh like actually afraid that we were going to lose uh, that, that, that we were going to pay Savard like five million or thereabouts money. So three point five is really palatable. And as Scott was saying, he's just very consistent, right? Like he is really solid defensively. Like his defensive metrics are like significantly better than Sherratt or Edmondson's. And yeah, because just... that because that, he knows what his role is, right? Like, that's, that's, exactly. That's how he actually built his name in Columbus. Is that he's just a defensive-minded player? He's just responsible in in his in, in his own. He he he's not the guy, uh, in my personal opinion, who's gonna who's gonna do the first pass, so to speak. You know, he's just like you know what? I'm here to protect our goalie and hit everyone in the way. And that's it. Am I correct? Yeah, and like what what I also liked uh, was in his interview today uh, or yesterday. Uh, he he said um, like. As soon as I got the offer from Montreal, I accepted. I, I didn't even look at the at the amount because he he just wants to be here, right? Like he he genuinely want, wants to be here, and um, I think that's also an important addition because um, again, like we've we've gone through like so many seasons of free agents not wanting to sign here, and now in the last couple of years with Toffoli and uh, now Savard getting not necessarily like the biggest names available, but like established NHLers and typically broke out this season and who actually want to be here is I think a really big thing. And I just wanted to add one more thing on uh, Mike Hoffman. Analytically speaking, he's, he is terrible at five on five. Like, <laughs> like he drives nothing. It's the However, general consensus that on five yeah. on five, he, 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 forget it. You know, I use advanced stats a lot uh, because I respect them a lot. I think like, like looking at them can give you a much fuller picture. Um, like in conjunction with the eye test. But at the same time, Montreal has a whole bunch of play drivers, right? You look around the team, like Lekkanen drives offense, Gallagher drives offense, Toffoli drives offense. All these guys can drive offense. But put, having someone to purely put the puck in the net is something that we actually need, right? And on the power play, it gives us a really different look because you can have a, a power play unit with uh, uh, Cole Caulfield uh, on the left, Mike Hoffman on the right, 
to uh, to foley the bumper and Nick Suzuki feeding passes with Petrie at the point. Like like you have a lot of versatility there, and I think considering like how difficult the power play has been recently, Mike Hoffman's a really good, smart, and important addition. Yeah, absolutely. It gives us like a million combinations, you know, that that we can that we can use on the power play. Josh, um, you're actually a big fan of the Cedric Paquette signing, I hear. Oh yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be pretty great in Montreal, actually. Uh, Montreal, of course, loves to roll the four lines. They don't have the traditional one, two, three, four. So it's a really great way for really good third and fourth line players to really shine. And I think Paquette can do that. In the past, Montreal is really good at getting most out of guys that aren't like the best. Like I remembered the Danish Gretzky, uh, Dale Weiss. <laughs> Dale Weiss at today. And he was like electric in Montreal and then goes to Philadelphia and does nothing on the fourth line. Like Montreal just gets all the great things out of guys like David DeHarnay, Dale Weiss. Corey Perry had his best goal scoring here since his time in Anaheim. Like Montreal just gets the best out of these lower tier great offensive players i think paquette might be the next in line for that i mean fans of a certain age might remember steve bejean as a perfect example of like your fourth line grinder who gives a hundred million percent every night and people love them you know this is a guy who you know who scored career highs in montreal as well you know maria you might want to maybe to brush up on our stats here i think steve bejean one score like a dozen goals or something, you know? Like, I know she's gonna yeah, they up. just get the best out of everyone. Yeah. Like, they just milk everyone for all they can get, and it works, and I think it's going to work with Paquette this year. I mean, say what you want, you know, about the, you know, the cultural or lingu- linguistic, you know, identities to the Montreal Canadiens. Some people love it, some people hate it and everything, but there's no denying that it, there's something, you know, like there's something about you know being born in Montreal and wearing that red sweater, you know the CH on your chest, and like and, and you just can't help but think the people that have worn this, but like before you, you know, like Roy, Bellevaux, Lafleur, Richard, all, all, the, all, all those players, you know. But the same thing can be said for anybody in Minnesota, for example, which is another hockey hotbed. You know, like you know, you're wearing a Minnesota jersey, being like, "All right, well, this isn't the Stars because they're in Dallas, but man, Mike Madonna wore this. This is like, this is pretty cool, you know." Or like, you know, so the same thing can be said in Western Canada as well. So yeah, I think, and I agree with you. I think we're going to be surprised with what Pocket gives us. I don't think we're going to see 82 games out of him though, because he does play a very physical game as well. He is exactly in the image that Marc Bergevin likes his players. So like, no, we'll see. I mean, I think. We'll see the what the, the what the results are, and that fourth line is packed, jam packed with guys that can fit in and kind of come out and come in as needed, and they can fit in really well with each other. I feel endless possibilities. As I mentioned, all the guys fighting for spots too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Maria, did you get the, that uh, goal count from Steve Bajan? Like, what was his career high in Montreal? Yeah, it was in 2005, 2006, 11 goals, 12 assists, 23 points. See, for a guy who plays like eight minutes a night, isn't that incredible? Like, see, Josh, you're, ex- you're right on the balls. When the, they get, the guys are motivated and they give it their all, you never know what can happen. We have a knack of like bringing out the best in everyone. All right, you're listening to Puck and Roll. We're talking about the Montreal Canadiens free agency. We're going to be talking about... A little bit of everything for that matter, because we got so much to cover. Like the last week has been absolutely bananas. Free agency, the uh, the draft, the expansion draft as well. We might take some time to talk about he who shall not be named. I don't know if that's going to be okay with everyone here at some point. I think we all know what we're talking about, you know, a certain first round pick. Uh, but before anything... I'm actually really pleased to introduce um, Elias Laradi, who is going to be our insider for Puck and Roll. This is a guy who's got connections left, right, and center. He's going to fill us in on rumors and such. Uh, I'm going to throw the well, throw the ball. I'm going to pass the puck, actually. I'm going to use my sports analogies properly. We were talking about Jack Eichel before the show. Elliot Freeman mentioned that apparently uh, the Canadians made, well, what was considered a lowball offer for a Jack Eichel trade. What are you hearing on that front? 
first of all, love the great uh, stick analogy. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> In regards to uh, Jack Eichel, you know, I got this question actually asked a lot. You know, I've been, I've been hanging out in Montreal sports bars for most of the week. And honestly, when you're looking at his contract, like for Montreal to take on a second player who's going to be making uh, $10 million a year, I really feel like it's, it's, ca- it's cap heavy, number one. Number two, Buffalo is looking for an extremely high price. They're looking for at least two major prospects and a first-round pick. And I'm 100% sure, even I'm, I've heard Elliot and Pierre say this, the call that goes to Bergevin, they're saying either Nick Suzuki, Alexander Romanov. And that's where the conversation literally stops. And that's why I even told you, even before we started doing this podcast, I said, I'm really not surprised that the Habs made a low-ball offer because, you know, they weren't going to trade Suzuki. They weren't going to give Romanov. But who else would you be able to give to get him? And on top of that, be able to take care of that salary, which I find uh, really isn't a good move. Like, my personal take, everyone's been saying this a lot, Eichel to Vegas makes so much more sense as they just cleared a bunch of cap space. Unfortunately, they got rid of Mark Contre Fleury, which is a move that I did not agree with personally. So, I mean, that, that move can make sense. They have a load of prospects. They can they have a, a, a good amount of picks. I think that could probably be a move that, that, uh, that I see coming. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we've been hearing a lot of Eichel in Vegas and, and, and with the Rangers as well, who are, you know, obviously in on it because they're in on any American superstar. I understand that we have a need for for centermen, but, you know, in Montreal, now we're we're going to be running Nick Suzuki on the first line. I mean, I know the question is going to be, is he going to be ready? Then we're going to have Kokanyemi. Is he actually going to be ready to be holding second line minutes? Then we're going to have Jake Evans. Is he going to be ready to be holding a higher profile role? That's pretty much going to be what Phil Deneau used to, used to give us. And then on the fourth line, we've got Cédric Paquette, and we forgot to mention because this just came in. And uh, Maria, if you can maybe try to get us the info on this, uh, the signature of Mathieu Perrault has uh, just been announced while we were recording this. Um, who is, I'm guessing, is going to be uh, filling the fourth line role. Uh, so if you could just check out what the contract on that is. But, I mean, Jack Eichel is Jack Eichel. Like, take away personality, take away, you know, Buffalo, like which is, you know, an absolute hole for <laughs> where big, big hockey players go and die almost. But, I mean, wouldn't he be a good addition to Montreal regardless of the price? He has skill. He's young. He has all the potential. I'm pretty sure if he was on a good team, He'd be, you know, killing it. He'd be in the playoffs almost every year. But unfortunately, he went to Buffalo, which is basically like, I, I would say like it's like a like the death penalty, kind of like if I were to make an example. Um, but like, yeah, like you said, we the, the biggest issue in Montreal now is we have a glaring issue at center. I'm sorry, I'm, I, Nick Suzuki is a great player. But if Nick Suzuki is our number one center, Montreal is going to be a lot of trouble. It's an 82-game season. We're going back to the Atlantic Division. There's Tampa, there's Boston, there's Toronto. There's Florida. It's 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 so competitive. Like all the analysts are basically saying that if Montreal doesn't fix their issue at center, there's basically like no chance that they actually make the the playoffs next year. Um. So for the contract for Mathieu Perrault, it's one year, um, nine fifty k. Well, cheap. That's awesome. Not bad for a guy who just came off of like what four and a half million dollar contract or something in Winnipeg. <laughs> Scott, your take on Eichel? Yeah, because I find it's a. Uh... What Elias said, oh, sorry, what uh, Elias said about the uh, Buffalo Sabres sort of being a, how would you say, a graveyard or a place where sort of players just go to struggle and they go to flounder and places like that. Buffalo's had a culture that's been based around losing and unsuccessfulness for way too long now. And when they were in their 18-game losing streak last year and they had that weird situation where they had a current Hab signing, Josh MSJD, play on their first line for one game and everyone was thinking, what the heck's going on? This offseason has done nothing to make me think that they're going to be able to get out of that slump anytime soon. And I think one of the main reasons that they're pushing so hard on Eichel and they're asking for so much is because they got criticized so heavily for getting nothing for Taylor Hall and for getting nothing at the trade deadline for all these players that they gave away. And even Steve Dangle made a really good tweet that said that the Sabres, they don't have a goaltender on their roster right now. If you go on the cap-friendly website and you check the Sabres organizational depth, they don't have a goaltender. Their only option is Dustin Tokarski, who's in the AHL currently. So I find that Eichel going to Montreal will be an interesting move. But I think in my own personal opinion, I think Eichel really wants to go to a place where he can win and win now and not have to deal with even a slightly losing culture or a culture that's in the midst of a rebuild or is in a very middling state. So I feel like Montreal is probably best to stay away from it for the time being. And I think they can survive with the players they have and maybe gamble on a surprise performance here or there. there. We're going to throw it directly to Josh, but we've chatted before and you've mentioned that, you know, there might be some surprise players that might fill in. Yeah, 
Uh, well, we've seen what a number one, true number one center is going to get in this environment right now, and that's really not going to happen for Bergevin. But there is a UFA that I think might be interesting. Now, I'm just spitballing, haven't heard anything concrete or anything, if he's even going to go anywhere. But David Krejci is in name that might be a little interesting he's a second I have line center heard that name come up uh you uh bring up a, a really excellent point actually the french media has brought up the name of david Krejci a few times is he still is he still useful for a team like you know the canadians that are really based on speed and crashing the net and whatnot at this point well does he want to leave so. Boston? Yeah, I would totally think so. I mean, the thing that a lot of people seem to forget about Krejci is that he had a 44-point season this past season, and he's two seasons removed from a 73-point season. Krejci has been one of the Bruins' most consistent top six players for his entire tenure there. And to, for him to go to free agency at this age and with the chance to be underpaid for his services, I think Montreal should totally look after him. He's an unbelievable player who has been consistent his entire career, and he seems like he's aging like fine wine. I mean, Josh, do you think he could be like another Corey Perry-type solution for Montreal? Yeah, I think he is at this point still a bit better than Corey Perry, just at his age. He's a bit younger. He's in a better position for Montreal being in center. I think he just would be really good at taking the pressure off Nick Suzuki, not having to be that pure cut number one, and then dropping Jesperi Kakanyemi back to the number three spot, which is probably where he should be at this point to help his development. I don't think the higher time and work rate and better players that he would be playing against in a second line role would really help him gain the confidence he needs that he's been lacking in the regular season so far. Just as a more temporary solution as our young centers keep getting better and better because they are going to get better and better. Eventually Nick Suzuki will be that clear cut number one guy. You're listening to puck and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, Now I'm going to set the floor for something a little bit more, oof, I don't know how exactly how to, how to put it. Now we're going into mystery land. Mystery land is the NHL draft. And this year's draft has been particularly eventful for many reasons. The first is that three quarters of the junior uh, leagues barely played, if at all, last year. So there were a lot of blind picks and surprise picks for that matter. I'm going to give the floor to Scott Cowan, Sebastian High, who are our experts, so to speak, on anything in regarding the rookies for the Habs. Let's address the elephant in the room. I mean, we've joked around about he who shall not be named. Logan Mayu. he got picked 31st overall. He comes with, you know, baggage for something stupid that he's done in, in Sweden. Um, if you guys... if Anybody listening who's been living under a rock, uh, do a quick Google. Just check it out for yourselves. Make your own opinion of it. We're not here to uh, to judge. We're not here to uh, condemn. Uh, I think everything has been said. But let's still, let's talk about Mayu, the player. Let's talk about the impact that he may or may not have on the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, guys, if you guys want to talk about, you know, the whole ordeal around it, of course, I mean, you're more than welcome. But Scott, Sebastian, I mean, let's get Logan Mayu out of the way first. What do you, what did you, how did you guys react when the pick was announced? I think that you made a really good point there, Patrick, about just putting the situation off the ice to rest. There's a lot of things to talk about with Gardy Mayu. Everything's been said that what needs to be said for the moment. The Canadians are dealing with this in their own way. I don't want to comment on the way they're dealing with it. There's things that have been going on off the ice, like Jeff Molson's press conference that I didn't know about. Most newspapers didn't know about because he didn't want them to know about it for whatever reason. And then you have also issues with what Bergemay's statements, Molson releasing the statement about Mayu on the day of free agency. Who knows why he did that? There's a lot of things like that that I think we just need to put on the wayside. And even then, talking about Mayu as a player, Logan Mayu was not ranked as a, as a first-round pick. He was ranked as a mid, early, late second-round pick. From what I hear, Montreal was worried about losing him in the second round, which is a really ridiculous thing to think about considering all the controversy surrounding him. When I was watching the NHL draft, I thought that Tyler Boucher to Ottawa was the most surprising pick of the draft. I had no clue who Boucher was. I knew he was Brian Boucher's son, but that doesn't really mean anything. I don't think, I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And, and no, for that totally, matter, at all. When, and I, saw, when I saw that, I was like, 
Pierre Maguire, ladies. <laughs> oh, uh, completely, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Completely. I think Pierre Dorian had some actual knives in his back on that pick. But the thing that I think just to mention about Mew is that he wasn't ranked as a first-round pick. And I think Montreal, even if they had wanted to take him, could have taken him in the fifth round, the sixth round. They could have taken him as a later-round pick, and they could have avoided this whole thing. Or even better, just waited a year and, and uh, avoided the whole thing. So while I do think that Mew is a promising prospect at times with some of his abilities on offense, he had a minus 14 rating in the Swedish third division. So I'm just going to leave things at that for the time being and throw it over to Sebastian. Yeah, like, the, the main reason he was ranked so low by everyone was because of the baggage. Like, like he he dropped a lot, um, but because it only became public to us um, very recently, what he did. But teams and, like, um, like, like, scouting agencies knew of this for months, because it happened back in November, right? So, so these people knew of it, which is why he was such a low, uh, low rank. And personally, I never would have picked the guy, um, like... But okay, as, as a player, and it's difficult for me to separate the two because I never would have picked the guy. But as a pure player, um, again, he's big, which Montreal loves. He's an offensive defenseman with a booming shot, so he's really viewed as a Weber replacement, which is also crazy to think because you're going from character guy Weber to Logan Mayu. But um, he has again, his shot is really, really good, and he's he's, he's just he's very, very effective offensively. Like he he can easily run a power play. He can eat a whole bunch of minutes. Um, like Trevor Timmons said in an interview, like he's going to be play like 20 to 25 minutes a night in NHL easy. Um, and like, he's, he's a, he's a good hockey player. Um, but at the same time, there are defensive deficiencies in there with like, like he misses some reads mm-hmm. and he's only played four OHL games with, with London Knights. So it's, yeah, it's just tough to see. But at the same time, he, he put up, like, what, 15 points in 17 games in the third Swedish pro division, which is actually a really good point tally. I think he was one of the top point scorers on his team. Um, you can look at the minus rating, but at the same time, his team sucked. So, yeah, like, as a hockey player, he's a, he's a good player. Um, and yet, I still thought there were better players ahead of him. I would have picked Stankoven in the slot, but... Oh, totally. I would would, would totally agree with you on that one. Thankfully, Montreal actually made some really interesting picks later on in the draft, which I think definitely made up for it. One of my favorite picks of this entire draft for Montreal is still Joshua Waugh and Xavier Simoneau. When we were doing our mock draft, uh, when I was was doing a mock draft for this, I had noticed that Waugh was ranked at the 100th slot by uh, NHL Central Scouting, and I thought, oh, it'd be fun to see him kind of go somewhere and kind of be a surprise pick elsewhere. Thankfully, he went to Montreal. Uh, Waugh is a former first overall pick in the QMJHL draft. He's 17 years old. He's still fully developing, and he has a lot of offensive upside. He might be small, but he's a really talented player, and I think it could be a great addition to Laval. So too will Xavier Simoneau. I think Simoneau has a lot of, lot of upside for a guy who has passed over twice in the NHL entry draft. And basically, he reminds me a lot of a David Deharnay type without the speed or the skating that Deharnay had. And I think in my mind, uh, as well as being the captain of his team, the Drummond Voltageur, so he has a lot of experience and also a lot of tendency to be a leader on the ice. I feel like wherever he goes to Laval or wherever he goes to Trevoyer, he could be a definite scoring star in the AHL. And he actually reminds me a lot of Alex Berboulet, who was an undrafted signing by the Tampa Bay Lightning, who Montreal had, for some reason, passed over when he was an undrafted free agent, which was slightly criticized at the time. I don't know what you think about that, uh, Sebastian, but I definitely think Montreal had some fantastic late-round picks in this draft. Let me draft. interrupt two seconds. Uh, I'm sorry, Sebastian. I just want to like ask a question about Xavier Simonou, for a guy who got passed twice in the draft, why did he get passed by twice? Is it because he's? I'm. I'm sorry, I'm Maria. I'm, I'm still in your research he's small. here. I got yeah, it. I, I, I got a stats exactly. in front. He's five foot seven. I mean, this. Yeah, the Dale comparison is 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 good. But I mean, you're looking at his stats, and I get it. Like the especially in Quebec, the juniors is like it's all out offense. It's you know there's. The goalies are always terrible and everything, but this is a point a game player. This is 228 <laughs> points in 204 games in the queue. I mean, shouldn't he have been drafted? I mean, not just earlier in in the draft, but I mean last year. I mean, why? Sure. I mean, are, 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 we, are we literally just looking at the physical aspect here? Yeah, well, the size yeah. matters debate is something that has continually plagued the NHL draft, and I think it'll never truly go away. 
guys like Alex Dabrinka to Chicago are kind of changing that rhetoric, which is nice. But I think guys like Simon will still continue to slip through the cracks. But regardless of that, I still think Montreal is getting a lot out of this guy in spite of his size. And it's definitely something that they can develop. I don't know what you think about Sebastian, that, Sebastian, but I'll throw the floor to you to talk about it. Yeah, like, um, I would advise anyone that's interested on Simon as a player to just Google Zadie Simon, Jack Hahn. He has an amazing article detailing, um, like, uh, why he believes Simono deserves a draft pick. And he wrote it, like, I don't know, half a year ago. Uh, and he was actually, uh, like, a coach for the Toronto Marlies when um, Simono went to their rookie camp. And he was, like, the guy that was assigned to Simono to track him and to give him advice. Um, and the thing that really stood out to him was that when Simono gets advice, he, like, he, he, it's like the Bible to him. Like, he, he's like, okay. He doubles down on it and he does exactly that. So he was told, okay, you have to add some shooting to your repertoire because he's always a playmaker first, but he just didn't shoot the puck enough. And then and in the next season, he shot the puck more often. He was told to give a little bit more effort and um, like better reads off the puck. And he did exactly that in the next, in the, in the next season. So he, he learns very, very well and he takes advice very effectively. And I think especially for a player that whose ceiling might not be the highest, like, he's probably not going to be a top six player. But for, like, hopefully a third-line contributor, being able to learn and absorb things very effectively and quickly, I think, is a really important thing. And I think um, to, I'll, tell you, I'll let you keep going, but I just wanted to add something really quick about it that's really, I think, really interesting, because you mentioned his learning ability and how he picks up information really quick. One of the great things about Montreal's affiliates, which is likely where Simino will play, is that they have a lot of really proven star guys in those leagues. The Trouble-Livier Lyon signed Olivier Archambault, who has been one of the ECHL's best players when healthy. And I feel like no matter where they send Simino, if he can pick up things really quickly from these really talented guys, I think that'll be a really, really great learning experience for him. For sure. And um, like another pick I, I, I actually really liked was at 64. Um, they picked Oliver Capitan. Um, he's Kasperi Kapanen's cousin, but he's not Kasperi Kapanen. Like, 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 you know Kapanen for, like, super fast, can play a penalty kill, like, throw sticks at other guys, right? Like, classic Kapanen. Um, and, yeah, Scott, you want to say something about Kapanen, or...? No, uh, you can keep going. I think uh, Elias mentioned something about him being some certain player's son, but there are so yeah. many different players who are like other players' sons in this draft. I was just, I yeah. couldn't keep track of most of them. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. Like, it's even a lot. Bobby Orr got drafted, so. Bobby Orr. <laughs> I love that prospect. I was waiting for. I, I love him. Like, he went to Carolina. I, I love him. But um, <laughs> Oliver Kapanen is a player I just, I really enjoy watching him because he, okay, firstly, he scores goals. He, he, he's a goal scorer. He has a, he, he has a great shot. Um, and he kind of just like bangs pucks into, so he deflects a lot, a lot, a lot of rebounds. He stays himself around the net, um, like offensively, just really, really smart. And he's also very good at faceoffs, which is something we need. Uh, so I, I like that pick a lot. Like he's not the best skater. His defense is hit or miss. Sometimes he look he looks like a great like two way player, and sometimes he couldn't care less about playing on defense. So hopefully the work ethic for defensive play comes with time. Uh, but I thought it was a really nice upside pick because I think there's a ceiling there of maybe like a fringe second line center with good face oh. ability and a goal scorer, which is, I mean, end of the second round, pretty good. Absolutely, totally. And I think Montreal's really shown a really great penchant to be able to give their prospects chances at the minor league level because they, like, in Laval's, uh, for Laval's Ross last season, they were juggling players left and right. They gave everybody an opportunity. Arsene Kisimodinov, who was a sixth-round pick of the Decanes in 2019, <laughs> got into 15 games with the Rocket. That shows something about how willing Montreal is to show their prospects and give them a chance to prove themselves, regardless of their potential, regardless of their potential ceiling. They just want to put guys on the ice, put them with some veterans, and say, hey, we'll give you a shot, we'll see how you play, and we'll evaluate you from there. I think that's just a really great strategy. I know that um, draft strategy is sometimes a thing. And I say sometimes because, you know, uh, depending on the situation you're in, you know, you you want to say, hey, we got issues at, um, you know, up front. Um, I know, Josh, uh, you had mentioned at, at some point uh, off, the, off air uh, how, like, we have so much depth back at the blue line. I mean, like, shouldn't the, the focus have been that we get as many forwards as possible? Uh, do you th- guys think, and this is for everyone, not just Sebastian and Scott, I mean, do you guys think that Mark Bergevin, or for that matter, Trevor Timmons, because he pretty much runs the show at the draft, was there a plan to actually get specific players, 
Or was it just, let's just get the best player on the board, especially considering the situation involving how blind the draft actually was this year? I, I definitely think there's a plan. Um, they drafted a whole bunch of uh, QMJHL players. Um, so I, I definitely think getting Quebec-born players was part of the, the plan this year. And also shoring up the right side of defense in the prospect pool. They, they drafted three guys that play on the right in Mayu, uh, I think Kostenko and Sobolev are both right shots. Um, yeah. And uh, so they got three right-handed defensemen prospects. And especially after losing Kale Fleury, you kind of had to short that up. And Noah Juleson, yeah. Was yeah, oh, totally. and, and Juleson. Yeah. I think, yeah. but I think the funny thing about, like, putting aside Timmins 20 seconds of silence when he was asked about why he chose to draft Mayu, even though he had specifically no, asked not to be drafted, that was... Putting that aside, the Canadians have put a lot of faith into Timmins and his ability. And to be frank, he's actually made a lot of really, uh, really great late round selections that might have a chance to come out. Like when I was looking about, uh, when I was looking at Matthew Coronado, who was a 15th overall pick in the first round of this draft, I didn't really know a whole lot about him until I realized that he was playing with Sean Farrell, who was a former Habs fifth round pick. Farrell put up 101 points this year in the USHL, which is unheard of awesome. in the United States Hockey League. That's what I to watch too. Oh, totally, totally. Five foot nine center, great playmaker, and he's going to Harvard to play with Coronado. So having a first round pick to play alongside him, I think Montreal's done a really good job of just getting guys who most people might pass over and just giving them opportunities to succeed. And most importantly, making the fans want to see them succeed and making the fans want to see their their ultimate potential. Yeah, and like I wanted to mention one, one more player um, that the Habs drafted, and that was in the seventh round. They picked a, a really massive goalie called uh, uh, Joe Verbetic. Um He's a guy I watched a couple times, um, which was painful because he played for the North Bay Battalion, which is like the worst OHL team. Um, like, just really painful. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember watching him last year when I was uh, looking at Brandon Coe. Uh, who at least I got Brandon Coe. <laughs> he's fun. He's fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember watching the, the goalie, and he's like he, he did not put up good good numbers, but like no goalie was going to put up good numbers on a team with zero defensemen. Like like North Bay cannot defend, so he's very old for the draft class. But he's like he's six foot six. He's he's like an absolute like unit of a player. Um, and for that size, his like side to side movement is like really explosive. It's like it's pretty impressive to watch because like he's a massive guy. You think he like lumber around the crease a bit, but like it's it's really quick side to side movements and. Like his reads are off sometimes, but in the seventh round, it's a it's it's a swing I find really interesting because he could have progressed a lot in the last year. I definitely uh, think that one hundred ninety pound frame comes in handy. <laughs> yeah, being that big and having that frame. We're gonna yeah. take a minute, guys, and uh, to end this segment, I want to put Josh and uh, Ilias on the spot a little bit uh, because it's pretty obvious that Sebastian and Scott know everything about everyone. Uh, when it comes to prospects, I'm pretty sure Sebastian has a stat in front of him as to how many times did Dmitry Kotsenko wear purple underpants. Uh, so, like, these guys are absolutely knowledgeable. But I want to know, I want to know what you guys think from your end because I mean, like, you know, a ca- like you know, a casual fan will look at this being like, I have no idea who these people are. Like, you know, I'm sitting on my couch. I am like, Montreal Canadiens have drafted Riley Kidney. I'm like, okay, kidney. Uh, who's who's that? Except for an organ, you know. So I'm like, so I'm like, how do you guys react when you see these kinds of things? Do you like just look at this and being like, we'll see, or does it actually maybe like pique your interest, being like, you know what, I need to find out a little more. Like, what do you guys think? If I can go first, um, I used to follow the draft a lot more carefully when I was younger, but then I realized I got more into like becoming like an insider, like the trades, the rumors, the signings, all that stuff. So I focus more of my attention on that. So I mean, like I've I've I know a couple of prospects like offhand, but like to be honest, like like you said, like if you told me who's Riley Kidney, I would not be able to tell you like anything about him at all. But that's my question. I mean, like you know, you're looking at this and you're going like Riley Kidney, and I go, I'm sure you know he's a good player because you know he did get picked 63rd overall after all. Yeah. But I mean, like how do we how, how how do we know to trust the organization with this? You know, it's like this how that like. Been- like the most difficult draft ever because again, like Canada, there was no junior league in Canada that played. Majority exactly. players went to the US or they were they were in Europe. So how how did scouts like what scouts had to spend a year in Europe or they had to spend a year in the States just like watching video scouting. Sorry? A lot of video scouting. Like uh 
Oh, a lot of teams that like hated video scouting had to do it this season, which was fun because a lot of the more traditional scouting teams were really pissed off. Um, but it was it was very different because of that. By the way, Sebastian, I have a question to throw your way. When will we see Matthias Norlander in Montreal? Well, he he got his ELC, so he's going to be in training camp. Um, and then it's up to him to win a spot. I I'd love to see him win a spot because it would burn down like the current like D setup that everyone has written up with like Edmondson, Sherratt, Petrie, yeah. Savard, Romanov, Kulak. Like you throw Norlander, and it's like who goes where, right? And then Weidman's the eighth defenseman, and it, it would be a really nice wrench just thrown into it because it would make training camp a lot more fun to just like actually have something to talk about with a defenseman. Um, if if he makes the lineup, he's running a power play. Like, if, if he makes it, he's going to be running, like, I want to say pa- the first unit of the power play, but it's probably going to be the second. Um, like, again, he's a really great skater, really just dynamic offensively. Um, and, like, when Montreal drafted him, his, his defense was really hit or miss, but he's really shored that up recently. And... Like he he played some some games with, with big minutes in the SHL with Verlinda. Like that that's not nothing, especially at his fairly young age. I I really want to see him with the Habs this season, uh, but I think it's a lot more likely that he goes back to the SHL, finishes his last year on that contract, and then comes over full time to North America the year after, and either goes but joins the Habs or plays on the top pairing in Laval. Let's we forget the last wrench they threw in of Kel Fleury when he made this with the roster, and that was another wrench. Exactly. Threw, so I wouldn't mind seeing that again, too. That's a really good point. If I can throw in a follow-up, if you were to compare him, see, he's like, he's like a Jeff Petrie, he's like an Edmondson, he's like a like a Sherrod, like Norlander? Yeah. He's not like any of them, because he's he's oh, pretty yeah. small. Like, okay, he's not in, he's not short, short, but he's he's fairly, like, Slight of frame, he's he's, he's not going to blow anyone up with big hits. He, that that's just not his game. Like he, like I would compare him. Okay, it's. It, it, Dare I say he's Victor closer Mete? to Mete? He's closer to, no, no. But again, that's a very it, good it's point. Very though. Different. I will agree with it's that. It's very different. Like defensively, I'd say he's like like Mete. Smart stick, good positioning, effective, gets the job done. Not flashy defensively, hmm. but offensively, like he has Mete's skating. Maybe not not quite the pure speed. Please, he has I that, hope he doesn't have a shot. <laughs> And he, but Norlander has a really sweet wrist shot. It's not, yes. not the most powerful, but he has great accuracy on it. And he's really good at also passing out of a shot. So it's, it's, because he has a good shot, he's a shooting threat. But he's really good at also faking the shot and passing. Not quite like Nick like, like Nick Suzuki, who's like a master at it, but he he's really effective at it. And it's also why he gets power play time, right? Like like Victor Mete, he's gotten he got like what forty minutes on, on the power play in Montreal in his entire career. Like he, he he's not a power play person, right? Norlander would be. Um, I wouldn't compare him to anyone on the Habs roster right now, but he has that like Victor Mete like skating flair and really dynamic offensive ability. Well, if you want to throw in a really quick comparison, you could say that his shot is very similar to that one goal Eric Gustafson scored against Winnipeg in the playoffs. Exactly. The screen, a quick little wrist exactly. in front towards the middle of the net. It's just a nice, perfect release like that. Deceptive. You guys were awesome. Uh, that was actually like an incredible segment. Uh, I am looking forward to talk about more prospects in the upcoming weeks. Good job, guys. We're now going to send it over to Joshua Rosa. Uh, I'm going to start with you for this next segment. And before we, we do that, I just want to give a quick thank you to Sam Mendelson, who joined us at the beginning of the show and kick things off with uh, all the free agency news. Um, you know, like there, there's obviously a lot, a lot to talk about. Uh, but instead of talking about the players that we receive, how about we talk about the players that have left? Philip Deneau is gone. Uh, Thomas Tatar is gone. Uh, Corey Perry is gone. We could throw in Shea Weber in a way, you know. Or uh, stranded, I would more say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so like it doesn't really count. John Merrill, Eric Gustafson, the, all these guys are, ga- are, are gone. Well, Mrs. Mullet. Uh, yeah, in the mugshot, of course. Of course. Of you course. know, like... So, Josh, I'm going to start with you. I mean, is there anyone out of that group that the Habs should have done everything in their power to keep? Or, you know what, we're actually better off without them. Yeah, I get to be the bearer of bad news, eh? All the people that have left us this year. Uh, Like, there is some that it's really easy to say, okay, Eric Gustafson's leaving. It's pretty clear that Chris Weidman can fill that role, especially with... 
if he could put up the numbers and play the way that he did in the KHL, he can fill that Eric Gustafson role in more. Yeah, he got a KHL Defenseman of the Year, right? Yeah, he he almost scored at like a point per game, I want to say, around. Yeah, Maria Kejci, that's 21 points in like 50-something games, I think. I know for a fact that uh, he was actually offered $2 million to play, continue playing in the KHL, and he turned that down to play wow. here. So I guess that shows mm. a lot about how much he wants to play in North America, and more importantly, how much he wants to get that NHL shot again. That's a lot of rubles. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, just a quick point, to, sorry, bring that back. Might I add, the highest-paid defenseman in the KHL right now is former Hab Darren Dietz at $1.4 million. So it just kind of goes to show you how valued Chris Weibman was. Wow. Yeah, so there's really easy, like, Cedric Paquette could fill the Corey Perry role on the fourth line as the energy-type guy. I think the hardest one's going to be Philip Deneau and his face-offs and his defensive prowess. Uh, Montreal's face-offs going to be pretty bad this year if nothing changes. Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kock and Naomi aren't, like, Terrible, I don't think of the faceoffs, but well, they're not definitely not elite. But there's still a small improvement, though. I mean, like, these yeah, they're going to be better next point. year. It's just going to be a. It's going to be up to how, if it stays like this, how big of a jump is Kakinyemi and Suzuki able to make? Because it's going from a kind of two to one B to flat out one and three to f- two, which is. A big jump, and I do, I think they're gonna miss Dino's. He like after every defensive zone in the Toronto game, he came out to take the face off. He came out to kill all of the penalties, all the big moments. I think they're really gonna miss that. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you know what? There, there, there's you cannot not like Phil Dino. I mean, he's such a likable character. You know, yeah, he's definitely, you know, he gives it his all every shift and, and whatnot. Uh, defensively, you know, yeah. I mean, he, he's becoming an elite two-way forward. The issue is, though, is that everyone sees that except for Phil Dino. You know, Dino looks at himself as a guy who should be playing on the second line, having po- minutes on the power play. He thinks he can score 20 goals a year. And that's exactly what Los Angeles gave him as a contract. And Tom McClellan went on record and saying that, yeah, Deno is going to play on the power play. But, I mean, on a team that already consists of Anze Kopitar, you got Quinton Byfield is going to come out. you got Gabriel Villardi that's also going to be coming out. you got Alex Turcotte that's going to be coming out as well. So what's going to happen? You're going to see Phil Deno work the third and fourth line all over again at some point, and it just ends up becoming a waste. So, I mean, I is that his own fault for not realizing that? Or am I just over-analyzing here? I think he felt his role, like it was being said that there's a risk that I might end up being on the third or fourth line, and he didn't like that. And the fact that uh, the contract situation, when, when he rejected the offer, it sort of got to him mentally. But again, Phil Deneau is that one guy that the Atlantic Division or the NHL in general hates to play against because he's the guy who's going to shut you down. He's the one who shut down Matthews and Marner. He's the one who shut down uh, Stone and Pacioretty. Yeah. He's the one who shut down like all all of the number one lines. He's and the problem is now Montreal doesn't have that anymore. Who are you going to count to to stop Boston Matthews? Who are you going to count on to stop you know, um, you know? I'm giving an example: uh, Mark Stone or like. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to throw a name out there. And how about Jake Evans? You know, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, before my, the Mark Shifley incident against Winnipeg, he was he was amazing. This is a guy who was who was doing his job correctly. He was doing exactly as he was told. He wasn't trying to be too flashy. I mean, you know, I don't think he can play the minutes that Deno was playing, but I think he could, you know, you pair him up with, let's say, Dwayne Gallagher, for example. That could be a really respectful shutdown line for the Habs. I think a funny thing about uh, Evans to mention is that he kind of had to go back to a Habs gone now. Is that Matthew Pekka thing where he would – go away from the game, and then every once in a while, you'd watch him make a play, and you go, wow, like, where'd this guy come from? Like, he'd get a shot off, or he'd make a good play defensively, and you wonder, where is this coming from? How can I? How can we see more of this from him? So I definitely feel, I will agree with you, Patrick, there, that if Evans can figure things out, he could maybe play not quite Deno minutes, but maybe middle-of-the-road Deno minutes, half Deno's minutes, or something like that. I absolutely agree, because I, th- I think the way this team is structured, uh, and this is one of the things that, 
you know, again, baffles me in the, okay, the apparent Dano negotiations, because we don't know exactly what goes on in the offices. We don't know what's going on in his head and everything. But the way that this Montreal Canadiens team has been built last year is an indication also of what we're going to see this year. And it's built in a way that any of the four lines can beat you on any given night. One night, maybe the first line, you know, which is most likely going to be um, the same combination of Toffoli, Caulfield, and uh, Nick Suzuki uh, pivoting the center that we saw during the playoffs. Um, you know, they're, they could dominate one game. But then maybe the next game, we're going to see Cedric Paquette, Arturi Lekanen, and Joel Armia get together, and they're going to be doing heavy minutes. And then the next, then the next game, it could be, you know, the Jake Evans line. So I don't think there, you know, um, there is a specific, you know, number to every line, so to speak. I mean, there are probably going to be some specific roles, but I don't think that this team is built in which everyone is going to be playing 20 minutes a night, especially defensively, because that whole, like, four disp- defensemen playing, like, you know, 873 minutes a night and everything like we saw in the playoffs, that's not going to happen anymore. We can't do that in 82 games. But I mean, am I, am I off track? Josh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, am I off track here? I do think that this is, you know, is, is just feasible in this kind of, you know, like this modern day NHL, like, are we going to be rolling four lines night after night? Well, I think with Montreal, it's a necessity. Um, with the Jake Evans thing, I'm not sure if I I do like Evans. I think he's a really great third line shutdown right now. But the important thing is he did play with Deneau and on a wing for a lot of the end of that Toronto series. So he was great. He was also being helped by other guys. I'm not sure if he can take that top top spot from Deneau. But with Montreal, it's a necessity. You're this team's going to have to score by committee. I don't think Toffoli's going to be another top 10 NHL scorer this year. I think he's going to come down a little bit, and it's just going to have to be 100% effort, which is what the team's delivered. But if they don't have the effort like they often had last year, they could get into some trouble if the four... You have to have all four lines going for this to work, and if they're not, we see what happened last year with some of those middle-of-the-season losing streaks there. Sebastian, final 30 seconds. They're yours. Go ahead. I actually wanted to field a question. So, uh, the Habs now have eight viable NHL wingers. Uh, They have Toffoli, uh, Anderson, Drouin, Caulfield, Gallagher, Hoffman, Lekkonen, Byron, Armia Perot. Sorry, that's 10. Uh, and we only need eight on the team, right? I was just wondering, does that mean that Lekkonen's gone, considering that we'd have to pay him, what, 2.4-ish, 2.2, to, as a qualifying that. offer, right? Is he gone? What Lekkonen uh, did for us and that goal he scored in the conference finals, he gave something to the city that we hadn't seen in years and years and years. But regardless of that, I still feel like Lekkonen would be better served possibly with other teams. And I feel like I'd love to see him get a shot with another team. And I think that if Lekkonen can use that shot, he could be a 20-goal scorer with another team like he almost was with us. So while I would like to see him resigned here, I think it would be a great situation for him. And I think it wouldn't be the biggest loss for us if he did go elsewhere. <laughs> All right, that's all the time we have, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode one of Puck and Roll. And I think, you know, this has been an absolute blast. I can't wait to do this again next week. Uh, big thank you again to Sam Mendelson, Elias Laradi, our uh, insider, uh, Maria Buabdu on research. Thanks again, Joshua Rosa, Scott Cowan, Sebastian High. I also want to take two seconds and just thank um, Shane Ivers over at SilvermanSound.com for his song Dirty Gertie, which is going to be our theme song for this show. So once again, thank you very much. Tune in next week for another episode of Puck and Roll. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. 
because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.